many of you in this room remember televisions that you had to get up and turn on and change the channel? Anybody remember the fuzz on the screen that happened sometime? You'd really have to work the antenna, you know, and work the little knobs on the bottom. I forget what they're called. We worked a little harder to tune in. Now what do we do? We just take the remote. We select. We go through the channels. I wonder what you've been listening to, tuning into, music-wise or on television. What if... What have you been watching? The Olympics. The Olympics, absolutely. I've been watching the Olympics, too. How many people have been watching Downton Abbey? Between the Olympics and Downton Abbey, I'm like going into withdrawal. It's really bad. I'll have to tune into a different channel this time. What will I do? without wondering what's going to happen to Lady Edith or wondering what sort of nastiness Thomas, the assistant butler, is going to get into. He's really, he's really quite slimy, yeah, as a character. So I've been enthralled in those things. And you know, when I've been watching the Olympics, actually a sitcom this week, and I'm watching Downton Abbey. Since I've been working on the seven deadly sins, I've been thinking about how much envy is shown on television and sometimes in the Olympics. I was really sort of surprised. You know, in the first season of Downton Abbey, you have Lady Edith, who works really hard to bring down the reputation of her prettier more eligible sister. And in the Olympics, during the pair skating competition, there was the gold medalist and the silver medalist pairs who shared the same coach. Y'all see that? And so the silver medalist afterwards basically said, well, our coach spent more time with them and gave them the advantage. Sounds a little bit like envy there. A little bit. Now, we tend to use the words envy, jealous, and covet interchangeably, right? I, I envy that new car. Well, that's really coveting. I, I would like to have it. I, I want it. And we use, I'm jealous that you're getting to go on vacation well, that's coveting, too. Envy, on the other hand, has a nasty edge to it. It has a nasty voice going on inside our head, and sometimes it comes out our mouths. Anybody ever heard the phrase, green with envy? Y'all know that phrase? In the Middle Ages, they would paint portraits of the different deadly sins and of the virtues. For envy, they painted this green, sickly, wasted-looking man because they realized that envy makes us sick inside. It keeps us obsessed with somebody else and how they're doing and how much we dislike it. 
They also had these portraits. They had a woman who'd shot arrows, and they'd done this boomerang and hit her in the eyes. And they had this man with a serpent coming out of his mouth that was reaching around to bite him. They recognized that envy not only takes jabs at somebody else, it also poisons ourselves. And so we recognize envy whenever there's kind of a malicious edge to it, a real bite to it. So in envy, we turn on to the station that says, you're just not as good as your brother or your sister or your best friend or your colleague. It really doesn't matter. I have two grandsons, and the younger one, understandably, resents that he has an older brother who can do some things he can't. And so I'll say, for instance, you have a cute belly button. And he'll say, better than Taylor's? And I'll say, oh, yes, better than Taylor's. And when I do prayers at night, the younger one, James, will say, and don't include Taylor. That's envy. You know, that's envy at work. It's just, it's got this little edge to it. So envy is an active dislike. You may recognize it in some of the following phrases. Andrea got that promotion, but she's not that good. I think she's a little underhanded. You're at the gym. You're working out, and you say, look at John's six-pack. He must be using performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, she looks good. She's probably got on Spanx. And I think she's a little rotten. Or... Without his family's money, he never could have run a business. Who would have given him a loan? Anybody recognize any of these things? You probably don't say them, but you hear them, right? Of course, there are a number of people in the Bible who act out of envy. We've got Joseph, for instance, and he's got these 11 brothers. And you have to admit that Joseph is pretty obnoxious. He truly is. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. He probably said, you know, the other boys are really bad at customer service. Something like that. Now Israel, their father, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. I think of it as a designer jacket. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the others, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. You could say they trash-talked him. So we've got instances in the Bible where envy really, really eats at people. And Joseph's brother, it eats at them so badly, they finally throw him in a pit and sell him to slave traders. And then, of course, they have to 
live with their father's terrible grief because they lie and say a wild animal's got them. And they have to live with guilt for years and years. So like Joseph's brothers, we can go from thinking something in our head to actually acting on it to harm somebody else. You know, in the playing field, actually, I sat down at Presbytery and I asked people for examples of envy and, and there was a sort of dead silence. And one friend said, well, I can't think of any in myself, but I, I can point you to some other people. It's easy to see other people's faults. It's a bit harder to see our own. So I asked them what they thought, and and one of the guys pointed to a Bill Durham movie. And he said that the pitcher at one point goes, no, the catcher goes up to the pitcher at one point. Apparently the catcher really dislikes the pitcher. And he goes up and he says, You may have talent, but I've got brains. Envy will go out and actually go from just an internal dislike to actually trying to hurt the other person. In the movie Armadeus, the composer Salieri hates Mozart, despises the man because he's immature and buffoon, But mostly he hates him because Mozart's abilities far outshine whatever he will ever accomplish. And so Salieri actually plots to bring Mozart down and works for his demise and death. And years later, he can still not let go of the envy. It eats him alive. So I was sitting with my friends at Presbytery. Usually I like to sit somewhere in the back and talk and cut up during Presbytery. But I was sitting on the front row and I had to behave. So I um, got with them at lunch and I said, what, what, what do you think? And there was kind of dead silence. But one of my friends came up Afterwards, and he said, you know, your question about an example of envy really, really made me think. And I thought about this really, really good friend. I I love him. I respect him. I admire him. He works really hard. He has a fabulous salary. He has a really lovely family. And every week he goes snowboarding or skiing or off to the lake and I give him a really hard time. I give him grief about his rather extravagant lifestyle. Well, I was thinking about your question, and I realized I was envious. Thanks a lot. (laughs) There is a way out of envy. We have to change the channel. We have to tune it to the God channel, to the channel that remembers that God loves us just the way we are. 
that God takes us as we are and summons out what we shall be. That God truly treasures each one of us. Now, some of us grew up in homes that, in which we were ignored or obviously the odd child out. Or some of us have just gotten beaten up along the way. Or some of us work in environments that are really dog-eat-dog. And it's really hard to tune to the God channel. To remember God's message for us. I'm reminded reminded of the God channel sometimes when I watch television. In Downton Abbey, there's Daisy, who is the kitchen maid. She was one of 11 children, probably grew up in poverty. For six hours, she is married to William, who dies because of wounds suffered in World War II. So she has a father-in-law, Mr. Mason, and he implores her to come and visit him at his farm. And they're sitting there by the fire, having a cup of tea. And Mr. Mason says to Daisy, Daisy, will you be my daughter? All of my babies are now dead. Three of them died when they were children. And now William is dead. And I want you to be special to me. I want to have someone for whom I can pray. And Daisy says, I've never been important to anyone. And Mr. Mason says, you were important to William. And she says, I've I've never thought about that before. Well, what about your parents? Well, not special in the way you're talking about. And Mr. Mason says, If you'll let me, I'll be your daddy. I'll be your father. I'll support you. And Daisy begins to see herself in a different way because someone treasures her. She begins to hear a different voice in her head. Some... Years ago, I was on a nonprofit board, and there was a fellow there that irritated me a good bit. I never said it out loud, but he did. So we went on the board retreat, and we're supposed to share, you know, do the group building, build up our skills, learn the right things to do. And we started off by sharing what it is that made us committed to this ministry with homeless women and children. And it got to him and dreaded if God didn't make me see things differently because the man said I grew up in a family where they never thought I'd amount to anything that I never go to college but I joined a boy scout troop and this boy scout leader you know he noticed me and he believed in me believed in us and he took us all to church with him And there I heard that God loves me. And I want to give back because I know what it is to not believe in yourself. 
So this Boy Scout leader helped them to hear a different voice, to be a different person because he knew that he was important to this man and that God loved him. One of the ways we pay attention to the fact that God loves us is we read scripture like Isaiah 43, the prophet talking to Israel. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. The other way we turn into a different channel is we, we can start a Thanksgiving journal. How many people do that? Some people have taught it to me. There are a couple people here. And what you do is you take your writing implement that you have right now, and for three minutes, you're going to write down all your blessings. It doesn't matter how small they are. Just write down all the good things. Anybody need a pen? There are two other things that reduce envy and increase 
thankfulness and kindness, and that is you actually plan to do something kind to, for the person you resent. You get up in the morning, you think about it, you plan it, you do it. The thing about turning away from envy is that we turn our attention to thanksgiving and kindness and God's love of us. And like Paul, we say to ourselves, the past is dead and gone. I can't change what happened in the past. I can't change what happened yesterday. But I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. And that prize is Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has claimed me and loved me. So I run on to the heavenly call of the prize of Jesus Christ to learn why he laid hold of me. Thanks be to God. I'd like us to